This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown. Just yesterday on the show, we shared the results of the Quebec provincial election and talking quite a bit about electoral reform. And you'll also find us talking about a lack of platforms that relate to disability during election campaigns. But how about this? Have you ever considered the lack of politicians who identify as having a disability? Let's talk about this more with John Lepke. John just wrote a great column in Teed and Vogue about this issue. Hey, good morning, John. Good morning, Dave. So, John, tell me, what did you explore in your Teen Vogue column? Sure. So my piece for Teen Vogue alongside uh, my friend and colleague Alex Green was an article for their disability and justice package. And it was exploring for the U.S., although it is also relevant in Canada, let's be honest, um, the legal barriers or or some some of the barriers to disabled politicians um, existing in those spaces, whether they are local and um, municipal or up to, in the U.S.'s case, um, uh, state and federal. So this article... Or national, I suppose. Yeah, so, oh yeah, certainly. I mean, it's one of these things where we're seeing it right across levels of government, whether it be at the lowest levels, even things like school board trustees. We just don't see a lot of disability representation. So go a little bit deeper into this article that you wrote for, for, for Teen Vogue. What were some of the conclusions that you guys drew? Sure. So, so the foundation of that article was that uh, a, a senator from Pennsylvania is is suggesting or bringing forward some legislation to remove barriers because a lot of barriers in the U.S. related to this representation is related to the amount um, to whether running for office renders you ineligible for things like uh, uh, Medicaid and Medicare um, and, and health programs. And so this legislation, part of what this legislation is trying to do is remove those barriers. Now, the advocates that Alex and I spoke to are saying, yes, remove these barriers, but also it's unclear that the legislation as suggested puts forward that you could run for office, which is currently something that you may or may not be barred from um, according to current uh, requirements of, of different American systems. I won't go too granular there. Um, and, and what advocates are saying is, yes, let's take this movement forward, but also there's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of clarity as to whether when you get if you win that election and you you start receiving money from that, even if it's minimal, whether that would then kick you off of uh, benefits. Mm. So this article had an American focus, which makes sense because it was published for Americans. But certainly there has to be a Canadian application here. So what does disability representation look like in Canada as we head towards municipal and provincial elections? Absolutely. I I think most broadly um, we see the barriers to, you know, in order to run for public office, you need money and you need support. And in a lot of ways you need to see people that have gone before you. So, you know, we see folks like Carla Coltro, we see the former mayor of Vancouver, um, we have a local NDP here who, who identifies as immunocompromised, and that uh, here being Saskatchewan, um, that caused uh, quite a, a, 
can I call it a ruckus? I'm going to call it a yeah, ruckus. Yeah, call it a ruckus. Um, we like that word. When the, when the South Party decided uh, to um, uh, heckle him for wanting people to mask in the legislature. Um, and so we, we don't see those people... Um, we don't see uh, there's there's funding barriers here as well, as I mentioned. And then, you know, because the American system has and I'm not here to be, you know, an AD and Americans with Disabilities Act truther or anything. But um, because the Accessible Canada Act is newer and not quite as uh, as robust in some ways, um, to my knowledge, that the the sort of uh, legal uh, aspect of this, if we can call it that, is uh, has yet to be has yet to be tested. Mm. John, I I think about those barriers that exist, and I love the fact that your article explored some of the more legal and legislative implications. But there is just an element of politics being about optics, and and I hate it when politics gets boiled <laughs> down simply to optics. But if you can make your opponent look mad or look uncomfortable or feel uncomfortable or limit them in some way, all of a sudden it really reflects as a bad optic towards them and then quote makes them unelectable and that's why i despise optics being like any kind of measure in politics but it really makes me think about the way in which someone with a disability oftentimes needs to advocate and say i need this i need x to do y if i'm going to do it properly or effectively so all of a sudden your opponent can start advocating to use a space that isn't accessible for a debate or it's harder for you to go door to door and like go glad hand with people i i just think about all these little things all these little barriers that exist because we live in a somewhat inaccessible place and to then have to advocate against those things ends up working against your political messaging, against the true messaging you want to do. And I just see that as being something that really affects or impacts the way someone with a disability may want to get involved in politics. Absolutely. I, I mean, if, uh, uh, not to make this all about me, but as a wheelchair user, if I wanted to go door to door, um, I, I need some help with the stairs here in Saskatoon. Um, I think, you know, uh, to that point, we, we have seen, you know, a, a couple of candidates be able to use things like accessible vehicles. This was true for a candidate for the New Brunswick Liberals a few uh, elections ago. Um, but you're right. We don't, I don't generally walk into these uh, political spaces and ex expect to see um, disability being on the front lines of the discussion. I mean, all we have to do is play a little game, and I, I, uh, I, I didn't do this with the, uh, the Quebec election, but if you, look at the, if you look at the party platforms and hit Control F for, for searching a document on their, um, on, uh, on folks' platform documents and search for uh, disability, um, very rarely will they show up. Um, and yeah. if they do, they're usually related to some, as you said, optics, some nice photo op with some, um, you know, uh, some disabled kids that make, that is supposed to make voters feel as if they are um, 
they are voting for a party that cares. That's precisely what happened in the Quebec election. We shared a story about the Liberal leader Dominique Anglade who uh, put together a policy or put together a policy suggestion that said, hey, uh, we want to create a person who is essentially the czar of disability, a disability complaints office. Of course, then as you dig a little bit deeper, deeper into that press conference and into the uh, like one or two news articles around it, uh, the word handicapped was used all the time. So even the language was poor as people were trying to talk about disability inclusion on the campaign trail. Uh, John, I want to come back to these barriers. Why do you think these barriers exist? Uh, good old-fashioned ableism would be my first answer. Um, you know, that, that old-fashioned ableism like mommy used to make. Um, to quote whatever commercial that is from, I can't remember. Um, but also, it, it's, it is a case of not being able to see people. And it's also a case of, you, you mentioned optics earlier. You know, when when often we see, and it can seem like a small thing, but somebody or somebody puts out a policy that the other candidate doesn't agree with, and suddenly it's branded as crazy. Or we saw in American elections, um, and we still see it uh, regardless of candidate. Oh, would you like a candidate who struggles to go upstairs or ramps or you know look at the commentary on Joe Biden falling off of a motorcycle not to rehash something from 18 months ago? You know, the way that we talk about disability, disability is often used as a cudgel against, um, even by, you know, people who you would think would know better, a, a cudgel against their opponents. And so when a disabled candidate, in my humble opinion, is trying to run for office, they are bumping into a collective voter memory that disability equals bad. Mm. Um, and it's only within cities and sectors and things like that that we see, you know, we, it, and it's often one of the things that came up from the team vote piece is it takes an immense amount of privilege to be able to, um, to run. And when things like income barriers come into effect, it also means that only people with a certain subset of disabled experiences end up in those positions. It's either the people that have been given the mic for a very long time, the sort of um, mostly super crip, or it's the people who are able, and this is not a value judgment, but have the capability through the way their disability affects their body and mind to hide what their disability is um, and not make it a, a talking point. John, let's finish on a positive note here. You're on, the, <laughs> you're on the prairies. Are there any people locally who are doing work around legislative accessibility? Yeah, so I mentioned um, uh, the NDP MLA, uh, uh, Matt Love, previously. Um, much like with other provinces, the stories of how these legislatures, and I'm not trying to be negative here, but the stories about how these legislatures come to be accessible are, uh, to put not too fine a point on it, backroom stories. You know, they're, they're not things that are, are super publicly um, available, I think. COVID has forced disability to be more of a of a conversation in the legislature. I remember a few years ago the 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 largest comment on disability in the legislature outside of funding of programs was when one MLA told another one to grow a spinal column, um, which some uh, local disability activists had, let's put it this way, some fun with um, <laughs> um, pointing out that you know growing a spinal column is um, you know not a matter of want. Um, and so I think that that conversation is happening. 
Unfortunately, and again, not trying to be negative, but unfortunately, disability often comes up in relation to cuts for programs or in Alberta in relation to when they de-indexed uh, de AISH from, from, uh, from inflation. Uh, oftentimes, it is a uh, disability still comes up as a um, in rebellion against uh, whatever cuts are happening to our communities. And so um, I guess my hope is that uh, is that these conversations keep happening, but it really does start with, uh, in my view, those those grassroots, uh, you know, the municipal and the city and school board elections, as you said, the the pipeline to these larger positions, because let's face it, they're the Federal ministers are always going to be the ones, um, and this is no, you know, I'm not critiquing Carla Qualtrum here. Federal ministers and people in power are always going to be the people that are that are trotted out as the ones that are making change in the disability community. But my lived experience tells me that, uh, you know, just as much change can be made at the at the school board, municipal, you know, provincial levels. Oh, heck yeah. That's where best practices are formed through and through. That's where the case studies live. Hey, John, we got to get out of here. We're a little tight for time today, but all the best to you. And we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. Sounds good. Thanks so much. That's John Lepke, a journalist based in Saskatoon. Coming up next, Amy Widows from the Ontario Disability Employment Network describes their campaign for this year's National Disability Employment Awareness Month. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.